Hello and welcome to the Cinema in Seconds podcast. This is the podcast where we look at small moments in big movies. And this week we are going very big because this is going to be our Star Wars special. My name is Ian. And I'm Daniel. And I guess this makes it our Star Wars holiday special, given we are recording (laughs) the week of Christmas. That's right. I like that. Good. Hopefully we can live up to the old one. (laughs) (laughs) Harvey Corman, man. Stuff act to follow. (laughs) And we, uh, we do have a guest, Justin. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I didn't get to practice a song or dance or anything for the for the holiday moment, but yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. You're not going to live in B. Arthur's uh, footsteps. Well, you know, I mean, we could try, but no you guys promises. ever actually seen that? Just parts. I couldn't get through it. Like I, I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan, and I could not get through that. <laughs> I think the best way to experience it would sincerely be the uh, Red Litter Media did a best of the worst years ago now. And their Christmas special, they did the Star Wars holiday special. And they ended up doing it in two parts where the first part, they started filming their discussion. And I guess this wasn't even planned, but they kept stalling to actually talk about it. So the first half of their Star Wars holiday special discussion is them talking about everything but the Star Wars holiday special. (laughs) Like they talk about the George A. Romero zombie movies, the Jurassic World trailer that had just come out at the time. Like, and then the second part, they go for like an hour into the the holiday special. And that's the best way to experience it just through their (laughs) eyes. Okay. I'll take your word for it. And how long is that? Because I know their prequel discussions are like basically as long as the movies. It's shorter than the actual holiday special itself. So that alone probably makes it better <laughs> but you know so yes. yeah so i thought because Dis- the disney star wars has kind of uh, conditioned us in the last few years i think to expect a star wars movie before christmas so i was kind of thinking well christmas is coming up i think it's time for the star wars special and i was thinking about it if the new trilogy kind of kept the same pattern as the old trilogies taking 3 years in between then two this we would have gotten um rise of skywalker this past weekend this would have been when it actually would have wrapped up if they didn't uh rush mm. it like they did but yeah yeah it's an interesting thought yeah. just so the world in general where they spent more time on the screenplay to all of them interesting to to ponder yes Yes, quite. <laughs> or you know, Mortal. if they gave a little time for um, tempers to calm down a little bit between a, still not a certain calm. movie. Oh, I know. Oh, to this just... day, Last Jedi can ignite like a massive like firestorm online, yeah. and it's like, oh my god! Like it's 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 insane to me. I and this is going to be hypocritical coming from me, but it's wild to imagine caring about a movie that much. <laughs> like, it's like, man, I get being passionate, but surely there's a limit. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm with you on the negative aspect. I don't know why people could be so, are so passionate about being negative towards a movie. Because I mean, there's lots of movies out there I hate, but you just you hate them and then you move on. I mean, Justin hasn't really moved on from Terminator Genesis yet. But... Oh, and I won't ever. <laughs> there is not enough hate in me for that movie. I was on TV today. 
for like I, I watched maybe 15 seconds of it and I'm like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> so <laughs> why oh, did boy. you bring that up? Yeah, there's a very real potential for us getting sidetracked here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get back to some Star Wars. Uh, yeah, so with our Star Wars special, um, we realize that we're not actually going to cover as many of the movies as you may like. Um, but that's okay. We're going to try to at least span the the spectrum from all three trilogies. And I actually, I know personally, I picked a one moment from each trilogy. So we'll see how that works out. And yeah. Any, uh, well, I mean, really though, we're also missing the spinoff. I guess it's not a trilogy, but if we count the Clone Wars animated film, that's a spinoff trilogy. Right Nobody there. counts that. Nobody. <laughs> and yet the show is acclaimed. Yeah. People love the show. So so we're really like we are barely scratching the surface that's true so which would necessitate doing another episode on star wars where we once again just talk about our favorite moments from the empire strikes back yeah but you know (laughs) we don't have all week for that though (laughs) yeah yeah so well should we get things rolling we're gonna start with the prequels sure thing okay um yeah dan why don't you start start us off so i have the the first the first of two moments from uh, the Phantom Menace, sorry, to be featured this week, which I will go on record as saying is, excuse me, easily the best of the prequel trilogy. Um, I don't know if that's a contrarian hot take around these parts, but I like it the most. Um, And this scene is a big part of why, and it's, it's the pod race sequence, which is a big scene. I don't think it counts really as a little moment, but what I want to zero in on is a little detail which is the fact that Sebulba sabotages Anakin's pod, so he starts the race massively behind. Because it's a little detail, but I think it really matters, especially in the context of this movie, where the heroes are, for the most part, very stoic and don't seem particularly enthused about what they're doing. The villains are very dry and just going about their process in a sort of -of matter-of-fact, detached way. There's... It's not a terrible film, but there's very little to kind of emotionally sink your teeth into. And what I like about this bit is it's like, it's kind of like pro wrestling in that it's a very obvious heel tactic, like cheap heat to get you to boo for the villain of like, he sabotages his pod. What a jerk, like immediately stacking the deck against Anakin. But I do think it goes a long way into giving the audience things, someone to root for and someone to root against. And I think it also helps that unlike in a lot of them, the rest of the film where like the Jedi are just kind of doing what they're doing because it's their job. Uh, Queen Amidala, because it's like her civic duty, I guess, or Royal duty. Um, Anakin wants to help these people because he genuinely wants to help them. And this is the best way he knows to do that. So already it's like, okay, that's engaging from a character perspective. And then adding this uh, extra detail makes it easier to root for him and against the bad guy and I think it keeps the race more interesting because as much as the pod race stands out as this really interesting scene in terms of the special effects used and the just the way it's rendered on screen it's a very neat sequence I think it would have been easy for the race to become really kind of maybe not boring but just kind of white noise but because Anakin has to start so far behind each lap is essentially a different act and tells a different story. So the first act is just him like getting into the race. The second act is him 
catching up and passing most everybody else. And then finally the third act is just him versus Sabalba. So it gives the story more room for it to grow. Whereas if it had just started as a normal race, I feel like there would have been less places for the, the scene to go to. So, um, so that's my moment. Sabalba sabotaging Anakin's pod, like the hideous heel that he is. And it makes it all the more triumphant when little Annie triumphs and wins the race. And it's, uh, it's very relatable to me because that's how I always start off Mario Kart because I forget which button is the go button. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm always starting behind. I like to picture you like straight up like Jake would be, oh no, and you're just hitting everything. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point about uh, starting off as the underdog. I mean, he's already kind of the underdog because apparently humans can't pod race and for reasons unknown their instincts are too we're too primitively developed you know right, those like aliens that. are way ahead <laughs> yeah what was that noise that's the dog okay <laughs> <laughs> i just kind of let it go and i'm like yeah. i gotta ask because it feels like there's a fourth person in the room yeah. i didn't know about yeah yeah, like I think we've talked about the pod race before and about how it's kind of its own story in and of itself. But this is, you're right, like starting it off that way is an important, it's important to the beginning of the race um, because of that act structure. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it goes a long way. And it's, again, like it's, you could argue it's kind of a cheap, you know, like cheap heat, but I think it makes sense for like, a children's adventure science fiction movie like it's okay to have a little bit of obvious sort of villainy it's probably why Sebulba kind of stands out when you think about like the characters in that movie not that he's particularly interesting but he is at least like firmly evil and yeah. shitty it's yeah. like that guy yeah. sucks <laughs> so yeah simple detail but I think it goes a long way well when, when you look at how complicated some of the other things are in the movie as well like all the senate speeches and all that like it's just a nice simple contrast to like you say like to get a a bad guy established like Mm -hmm. he sucks he cheats like yeah there's no there's no long-winded speech about it it's a simple act done Mm -hmm. like i don't know yeah the, the pod race is like one of the best scenes in that movie in my opinion like it's certainly, I think, one of the most memorable parts of the whole film, especially, I think you could even say like, the whole trilogy. Like, um, I've spent enough time in Reddit over the years and you start going through the Star Wars stuff and it's not uncommon to see how frequently the pod race gets brought up. So it's, it's I think that's kind of a testament to that, to the film itself. Like, that's... I mean, wherever anybody sits on the on the prequels, I think that's a testament to something that they got right with it. So, mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, it does add a bit of a Chekhov's gun idea too, right? The fact that he's got this broken part in a ship, and we're aware of that, and so that's always kind of the back of their minds as we're watching the pod race. Like, when is that going to come back into play? When is this going to go wrong for him um because apart from just 
no it's starting it does come back later doesn't it like doesn't that piece fall off or something yeah and like it there's another issue with his uh his engine and he has to kind of solve it as he goes which is another interesting part of the scene is that it's not just he's fast he can drive the ship well it's that he's smart yeah he's able to make those kind of decisions on the fly which makes him you could say what you will about the way that character's written and performed and the way lucas directs jake lloyd is off topic it's really not his fault jake lloyd that the you know the performance is what it is he was a literal child you can say what you will though about the character but yeah like as an isolated bit that shows his intelligence i think it makes him a more worthy hero in a lot of ways yeah so and i think the fact too just like genuinely the only character in that movie who's doing something because he just wants to help someone and not just for like it's my job which and I mean I don't want to get too bogged down into like critiquing the prequels in that sense. Like you could argue there's actually something really compelling and creative about showing the Jedi not as sort of great heroes, but as just like guys doing a job and not particularly emotionally invested in it. I think there's there's an idea in there that's really compelling, but I think it's also necessary that this movie has a character that feels like there is an emotional investment to him and it's important to him on a simpler, more primal level. Yeah. So that's good. Good pick. Yeah. I love the potteries too. Well, you have another Phantom, Phantom Menace, Menace moment that you want to regale us with. Yeah. We're going to stick with uh, Phantom Menace for now. Episode one. Uh, we're going to go a little bit later into the movie with during the big lightsaber fight, which is, you know, one of the two linchpins of this movie the pod race and then the lightsaber fight are the two moments that everybody seems to like in a movie that not everybody seems to love <laughs> uh, but the moment is that i want to talk about is a pretty small moment and it's when they're going when qui-gon and uh darth maul are fighting down that ridiculous hallway that has all those laser barriers for some reason <laughs> that go on and off for some reason <laughs> and yeah don't really know why but it does provide good tension for the scene and once and when that first when they first get closed off from that they get separated by that barrier and one thing that always kind of stuck out to me is the difference in reactions between the two between Qui-Gon the Jedi and then Darth Maul the um, the Sith Lord because Qui-Gon while they're waiting for this barrier to open again Qui-Gon basically kneels down and meditates while Darth Maul is pacing back and forth and like tapping at the barrier with his lightsaber. And it's just a really interesting contrast that I've always, that's always kind of endeared me to Darth Maul for as bland of a villain as he is. That one moment kind of, you get a sense of who he is because he's, he's pacing like an animal, right? Like a tiger at the zoo. He's just going back and forth, ready to pounce. Whereas Qui-Gon is, he's full Jedi, right? Like he's Zen, he's going into a Zen mode there. And then further down the hallway, you get Obi-Wan, who's kind of in between, right? He's standing there very tense. He's ready to go. He's not quite Darth Maul levels, but he's he's definitely not at a Qui-Gon's peace of mind level either. And I just always liked that idea, that contrast between the two shown in shown very simply in that little moment there. I like it. It's a very thoughtful pick. 
Um, although, for all Qui-Gon's wisdom, didn't work out too well for him. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. My new, as you're thinking, because I was listening, I'm like, yeah, it, it does show the sort of differences in temperaments. But then I thought, well, given that Qui-Gon shortly thereafter gets iced, it's possible that he's an old man and he's just tired. He's like, I need a breather. He's making it look like he's meditating, but really he's just like, oh God. Oh, I'm so out of breath. This is too much for me. Darth Maul's <laughs> like, I'm ready for another 12 rounds. Let's go, old man. So, but I do no, think you're right. That... It, it, it's really, it's a great moment of, because yeah, Darth Maul on paper is a terrible villain, but he's remembered really well. And part of that is the design. He just looks cool. Part of that is the lightsaber fight. It looks cool. But I think you speak to something like, in the way he behaves in the scene and in this moment in particular, there is enough characterization that you get why he would resonate more than someone like Count Dooku even, who ostensibly has a lot more personality because it's Christopher Lee and he has lots of dialogue. And yet that character in some ways is so much less memorable than, than Darth Maul is. Yeah. And I do think Qui-Gon encapsulates something of the Jedi myth that we kind of expected uh, after you know after the first three movies and because <laughs> i will say that attack of the clones does not uh, follow through on the jedi myth right because it basically turns the jedi into a bureaucratic government body which i think is lame but qui-gon's kind of gets that idea of the the thoughtful warrior right like the peaceful and yet you know menacing warrior that we kind of expected from you know when we think about what obi-wan might have been like when he was young i think this is maybe what a lot of people had in our minds mm -hmm. well and it's to, to bring it to that too it's interesting that like i don't know if, if john williams or lucas has ever talked about this but dave fellini i think is his name or feloni the guy who does the clone wars cartoon he talked about how the reason that the John Williams piece in the scene is called Duel of the Fates is because it is the duel of Anakin's fate. Depending on who survives this, that will shape his future. And the fact that because it's not Qui-Gon, because it's Obi-Wan who's younger, he's less patient, less wise, more prone to rash judgments, that contributes to Anakin's decline and ties in really well with Obi-Wan's line in the original trilogy about, I thought I could mentor him and i was wrong and i think you even see that in the way that obi-wan is not he doesn't have that grace and wisdom that uh that qui-gon has so yeah no and i i liked what you said about uh darth maul pacing like an animal waiting to get at qui-gon because if you remember when leading up to the movie how much of the advertisement promoting the movie was based around Darth Maul. There yeah, was so much of it. of it. Yeah, it was all based around Darth Maul. It's like, oh, all right. Like, we're getting the guy that was Vader before Vader. Like, this guy's going to kick so much ass. He's going to go out and murder children and, you know, <laughs> whatever. Younglings. Younglings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My so apologies. we can avoid using the phrase killed children and movies yeah. aimed at children. <laughs> <laughs> but basically an absolute beast of a bad guy and what does he do he doesn't really do a bloody thing in the movie until the end i mean at one point he runs over anakin without knowing anakin is anakin <laughs> but that's just him being a dick really but 
Uh. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people have made the argument too that like really in some ways the biggest mistake the prequels made was killing Maul off here because at the very least he had a certain presence and of course the fact that he kills Qui-Gon gives him an attachment or a, an, a relationship to Obi-Wan that is already present that you could build upon. So it is probably the biggest, even though I like, I think his death scene is actually bizarrely ominous and frightening, especially as like, like, as I was like five, when I saw that and it's like, this guy just gets cut in half and falls into a pit. And it's a pretty horrible way to go. Although I guess yeah. he's not dead anymore in the continuity, <laughs> but um, yeah, we don't go there, but it, it would have been fat. <laughs> although I will, it would have been fascinating to see like, had they kept the character around what they could have done with him and i think that's why even though i haven't watched really the series yet i'm kind of fascinated by that clone wars cartoon because he becomes like a major part of it and there is a part of me that's like maybe they fulfill the promise of darth maul and it sounds like they do because it sounds like he's actually super interesting and cool in the show a lot of people say they do yeah yeah but it is no never mind i'm not going to go into the clone wars cartoon i'm not going to do it have you watched the show I've, I've tried okay it's very much for kids <laughs> i hear it gets less so as it goes i hear so it's, i hear that too but i never made it to that point if there for is sure a point so <laughs> and it's tough when it's like you got to sit through a lot of baby crap but eventually mm-hmm. it gets really interesting yeah. yeah how many seasons of it are there i think like, like six seven. or seven yeah. okay but it's not in chronological order and i guess each like a lot of the episodes are like split into like little stories. So you could just like look up like this arc, that arc, watch those episodes and then move on. Um, which I've thought about doing and I might because the partner still has Disney plus. So it's like, well, use it for something, but yeah. we'll see. You don't want to watch Jungle Cruise for the fifth time. Fifth time. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't know what else is on there. I mean, Free Guy. Right, right. They still haven't seen either. Um, I'm going to jump into another prequel. Hope Let's that's okay. To Revenge of the Sith, which there's one, I don't even know if it's really a moment I'm highlighting or it's just the performer, but it's when Obi-Wan first arrives at the planet Utapau to find General Grievous. And he's greeted by this alien dude who's played by Bruce Spence who is this really cool Australian actor who was the uh, gyro pilot in Mad Max 2 and 3. I think he's playing a different character in each of those, but they're both gyro pilots. That's cool. Um, He is the train man in uh, The Matrix Revolutions. He has a cut scene in The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King as... Yeah, he's he's the mouth of Sauron. The mouth of Sauron, who... And he's great in his cut scene. He's so creepy. But he... In this scene, he's ostensibly not a bad guy, but he does have a certain creepy aura. And the the makeup they do for this character and his jagged teeth also give a sort of imposing uh, menace to him. And he's also super tall. And I think Bruce Spence is tall in real life, but I also think they amp it up for for this. But it's a cool scene. I think it, it has a lot of um, understated tension where he is trying to act like everything is normal and has to eventually confide in Obi-Wan that uh, they're essentially being held hostage. Not they're essentially, he actually uses the exact words, we are being held hostage uh, by Grievous and by the the droid army. 
But a lot of it is just Spence's performance, him stepping forward and kind of whispering, you know, to Obi-Wan uh, and confiding in him how dangerous the situation is. And I, specifically just something about the delivery of 10th level, thousands of battle droids just kind of really, really lands. But then as Obi-Wan leaves to go do his thing and, you know, save the day, you, you hear, you see Bruce Spence walk back to his other sort of alien buddies and you just hear one of them whisper to him, did he bring any additional warriors? And Bruce Spence responding, he didn't say in kind of a reserved way. And there's a lot I like there. One, I feel like it just amplifies the sense of like fear from this group and how hopeful they are to get out of it. But there's also something a little bit sinister and creepy because they're not asking him. They're sort of whispering amongst themselves and keeping that information from Obi-Wan. So it almost... And I don't know if this is intentional. I would assume it is, but you never know. It almost prompts you to think, wait, are they totally on the level either? Like maybe they're not just innocently being held hostage. Maybe they're a little bit more nefarious, which does not come back at all. So if it was intentional, it's kind of for nothing. But I do, I find it an interesting sort of memorable moment. And the other reason I like it is because the prequels get a lot of hatred and baggage. And I think largely deserving for over-reliance on digital effects to the point that like a lot of the stormtroopers for example are just cgi'd and it's like you you built suits for the old movies like it's not like not everything needs to be computer generated but that this alien guy actually is just a dude in makeup and with prosthetic i think with prosthetic teeth his teeth might just look like that though um but it is just a guy and a performance and there's a certain there's a tactile quality to him that stands out all the more when compared to like a lot of the other alien creatures who at this stage are really relying heavily on uh, digital technology to do the bulk of the lifting. He feels like a throwback. One thing that I always liked is his, uh, his skin is kind of looks like corduroy fabric, right? Mm. And it's, (laughs) which, yeah, I, that always stood out to me and I always thought that was really cool. And I think it's neat that they have somebody like Bruce Spence playing because this is a pretty small role. But, you know, when they throw these interesting actors, give them these small roles, they definitely do stand out, you know, something that might sink into the background really easily. Because, yeah, he's a very interesting actor. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that like this, like, I don't know what this character's name is. I don't know what he does. I don't know nothing. But this quarter guy. Yeah. (laughs) This moment, though, is like, a part of my brain is just exists to just remember this. And that's, you know, pretty remarkable for a film that I don't hold in particularly high esteem. And I think a lot of it is just kind of white noise, but this moment does, uh, does land. And uh, I don't know, it, it, it's a nice era to think about the early to mid two thousands when you'd go to see a movie and, Oh, Hey, is Bruce Spence doing something fun? <laughs> we need to go back. Those are good days. <laughs> Yeah, and he's in Dark City too, which is a role that definitely fits him also. Yes. He's one of the what do you call them? One of the dead guys anyway. Like one of the yeah. aliens. The guys that look like Count Orlock if he yeah. was a Borg. <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's tremendous. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good moment. I always like that whole I like that whole Udapau scene, really, where Obi-Wan's kind of doing it on his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, until the fight with Grievous becomes like a four hour slog. Yeah. <laughs> but the build up to it is pretty intriguing. 
Um, that also has like the line that I think it's kind of clowned on sometimes where Grievous is sending the separatists to Mustafar and he's like, it is a volcanic planet. You'll be safe there. It's like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's the worst. Sound like I'll be safe there. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing's on fire constantly. You'll be safe. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Love it. Oh, nice. Yeah, good pick. I like the. Yeah, I like when you're right about the like the CGI versus practical. The other thing they did that with was the uh, what do they call them? The Trade Federation guys. Mm-hmm. But that's not quite as successful, I wouldn't say. No, um, in part because they don't get much interesting things to do. Yeah, like, and their prosthetics kind of make it hard for them to actually be expressive. Yeah. Whereas this guy's makeup is, you know, it definitely lets him emote a little bit more. Yeah. That's his a creepy self. That's a very good point. Yeah, Bruce Spence, we love you if you're listening. <laughs> I know we keep calling you creepy and weird looking, but it's only because we love you. Gyrocopter <laughs> for life. Oh, so good. That's like the most normal he's ever been on camera, too, which is amazing. The guy who drops snakes out of his little helicopter on people. Oh, man. Yeah, Bruce Spence, if you're listening, give us a call. Yeah, come on the show. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, jo- we'll join you for like a, a really a topic that has nothing to do with any of the movies you've ever done. Your yep. favorite moments from movies from the 50s. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, should we move to the, um, to the original trilogy? I think so. Mm-hmm. The good ones. Safe yeah. ground. Yeah. Now, I feel Best bad ones. because we didn't pick a moment from the original Star Wars. So, I guess, does anybody have a top of their head moment? The uh, in the trash compactor, that weird looking slug worm alien thing, just because it looks so gross. (laughs) And the sounds, too, of it plopping in and out of the water are just like it's a simple sound of just like dropping something in water, basically. But in context, it's so disgusting and oh, it's wonderful. Well, just no. the sh- just like the sheer terror of that scene too. Like you wouldn't think something like a, a scene that small could be as effective as it is, but it does such a good job. It's just like we're getting out of here. We don't know what the hell we got coming up next. Mm-hmm. We get out of there, and it's like, oh shit, this is <laughs> yeah. What the hell are we doing? Like it's just it's such a great scene i think that touches on something really cool too with uh thinking about like putting yourself back in the headspace of like 1977 you're not going to see a star wars movie you're just seeing this science fiction film where there wasn't like such a set of rules and expectations because now that almost feels like the kind of thing that if it popped up people would be like well what's that thing what's its backstory and like you know i'm sure there is like a, a wikipedia entry on like the trash compactor worm that goes in depth but oh, it is I'm kind sure of fu- is. fun to think that it's just like it's just like a weird monster creature in this weird world full of bizarre things that you know we don't and i think it, it loans a lot to like people often say you can do anything in star wars which the movies and various shows have proven is not actually true it's in many ways rather limited and they kind of keep returning to the well of the same few ideas but inclusions like this are what give it that sense of like this large unfathomable world with so much possibility in it 
Well, what is it doing there? Did the Empire put it there because it has some role in breaking down the waste? Or is it kind of like a rat situation where they just these things just show up? Yeah. And how does that happen in space? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Also, like, does it just is it just born from the garbage? Because they're probably throwing like some weird, uh, unsafe chemicals and toxic stuff in there. Is it just like a mutation that like it got created? I don't know. It was know. just like a worm at one point and just yeah, maybe. Mutated. Hyper evolved maggot of some sort. <laughs> These oh, are interesting. Man. I'm sure the Wikipedia article explains all this for us, but <laughs> it's kind of more fun just to throw out whatever weird theories. Maybe it was like somebody's pet on the Death Star <laughs> and they just got bored of it. Like one does a lizard and just gone. What always bugged me about this scene was that when Luke gets out of the water he's always got that piece of goop on his face that i'm just like just wipe it off man <laughs> i don't want to look at it anymore just wipe <laughs> off the goop ah uh, it's equipment i can't imagine they smelled too good after that well you know one wonders but <laughs> i don't know can you smell in space like it's not well, like this, sound <laughs> this is another good question what is a wookie's general odor do they smell good? I don't know. I mean, Chewbacca's like he's fairly civilized, so maybe he grooms himself. I don't I would know. Imagine. He's, he's a got well kept, on the ship. Well kept Wookiee. <laughs> I'd hate to see a shampoo bill. Oh, yeah, there you go. That'd be like a great way to market um, you know, hygiene products to like man children who <laughs> like watch the, it's like wash yourself like a Wookiee, boys. <laughs> this is a billion dollar idea. Oh, Disney, I'll sell it to you for 20 bucks. <laughs> oh well there we go we got something out of that justin do you have any moments from the first movie oh man um now that you're putting me on the spot that's always damn right <clears throat> unfair i tell you unfair <laughs> um no like i was even thinking earlier like as far as like the original movies go i can't remember the original movies not being in my life right like it's just star wars has always been there so watched the originals a ton of times and now that i'm on the spot trying to think of something <laughs> you're welcome specific yeah but it is tough for like a movies like like star wars where you know you're trying to find small moments but these movies have been analyzed to death so much that it's like are there <laughs> yeah are there like small moments anymore in Star Wars? I don't know. It's tough. Because yeah, everything's iconic at this point. Well, if you look at how it it changed definitely how sci-fi cinema is. Like, I mean, it's one of the things that's kind of the standard which which sci-fi movies are kind of based against. I and like you said, I mean it's it's been gone over by much smarter people than i have or than i am well <laughs> hundreds of times thousands of times smarter is the right word well <laughs> they're much they're People much more, more time passionate. on their hands yeah, yeah. there you go <laughs> well what you're I trying to can... say is star wars fans are freaks it's okay to say yeah. it. <laughs> i can say it because i'm among them I mean, I think we're all various levels of among them. Um, 
you and I were talking, Ian, about how I'm like technically one of the less intense Star Wars fans in our friend group, which still means I've seen every film in the series multiple times <laughs> and have made video essays on them multiple times. So like, you know, for me to be yeah. one of the lesser ones is rather telling. Yes, that's true. Well, should we move to the movie that we all want to talk about? Let's do it. All right. So let's go to The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I thought we were going solo. <laughs> <laughs> I like solo. It was I did too. good. I did too. It was very enjoyable. I, it's entertaining, but I... Oh, never mind. I'm not going to say that. Uh, solo that is like everything that a prequel shouldn't be. It is, but it's still pretty I good. Gonna, I was just going to say, I, uh, I don't consider it canon. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> No, <laughs> you can't start doing, can't start playing that game. No, I know. That never ends well. <laughs> Do you okay, also and... not count Rise of Skywalker as canon? I'm debating that. But <laughs> like, maybe it just ended at, at after eight. <laughs> anyway, let's go to Empire Strikes Back. So my moment that I'm going to go with is... When Luke first actually meets Vader in Cloud City, when they're in the carbon chamber, or whatever the hell they call it. And specifically, uh, Vader's first line was like, and he, Luke kind of goes in and he has, he's looking around and he doesn't see Vader first, he hears Vader first. And Vader just says, the force is with you, young Skywalker. <laughs> but you are not a Jedi yet. So I just love that moment. That moment has always stuck with me since I was a kid. It's just such a great, it's not our introduction to Vader, but it kind of is through Luke's eyes because they haven't met yet. I mean, they shot at each other in, in uh, X-Wings, but they haven't actually come face to face yet until that moment. And it's just such an intimidating way for them to, for Vader to introduce himself by first acknowledging um, you know Luke's power and then almost immediately cutting it out from under him I also love just the the way that whole scene is paced and constructed with the pause and the breathing and um, yeah and James Earl Jones delivery and then of course Luke just walks right up to him um, whips it out <laughs> Without the lightsaber and then uh and i also love the contrast between the lightsabers because luke is like zoom he zips it out he's uh he's ready to roll and then vader just like his his uh lightsaber just comes on a little more slowly and it's like he's this because vader is a lot more confident and he's insured and he's you can tell he's not worried about this situation at all and i just think it's such a great meeting between these two characters i just love it this is really stretching our definition of the show in little moments. What? The line? It's a little... I mean, I guess, but come Remember on. Remember what this we just like... said about how there are no little moments in Star Wars? Yeah, but I don't know if the solution to that was to go head first into, like, maybe the greatest scene of the whole saga, <laughs> which I feel like this might be. Um, the whole confrontation and ensuing duel and the aftermath is... Oh, it's good. Let's talk actually. about this one line, Dan. Just this one line. Okay, but come on. <laughs> when I saw this in the notes, I'm like, how is that a little moment? <laughs> it's one line. It's one line. And I do like the way you point out, I think it's a, a smart observation, that acknowledging his power, but also undercutting it. Um, 
which he does throughout the scene. One of the speaking of sort of one line bits that stand out um, when he drops Luke into the sort of, I don't know, the hole to be carbonated. And uh, he says to himself all too easy. It's great. And then Luke jumping out and impressive, most impressive, which is a line that I just say in my daily life at this (laughs) point about like, like I'll sip a good cup of coffee. Impressive most impressive (laughs) original blend you know but um yeah i mean i I think that's a good point there that uh, acknowledging his power but undercutting it in terms of also just like mind games with luke like trying to undercut his confidence yeah so and i do have a an anecdote about this line too so of course i was justin can attest to this i was a very nerdy teenager and I, had lots of, and I had lots of Star Wars stuff. And one of the things I had was like this Darth Vader piggy bank that you'd press a button and it would play the Imperial March and then it would have that line from Vader. And and one one night, our, uh, I because I lived in the, I, my room is in the basement. And one night it got flooded. I got flooded out in the middle of the night. And I woke up and it was like this, I was, it was almost like I was in this weird fever dream because I woke up and the water had reached a pretty decent level that it was like things from my shells were like falling off into the water. And one of them was this stupid piggy bank that just started playing it, but it was like, it started playing the Imperial March and then speaking this line, but it was, it was like all warped because the water was getting into it. So it was like, Durr. and he's like oh (laughs) and then vader's voice is just like the force is with you and and that's this is what i woke up to and i'm like what the hell is going on (laughs) that's the sound you hear before you die (laughs) it was i was like what is happening right now that's amazing all right that justifies choosing this (laughs) yeah i will never forget that Awesome. Well, we, we did have to talk about Vader. I mean, you're talking about one of the best villains ever in I think any film franchise. You look at look at how Vader's presented from A New Hope through Return of the Jedi. And circling back to your to your wrestling terms, have you ever seen a heel book better than that? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It, it was it was perfect through that through the original trilogy. Like everything he did was believable. His redemption arc at the end made sense. Like that's one of the. I mean, it's gotten many things right, but that's probably in my mind one of the best things the original trilogy did was its presentation of Vader. Yeah, I would agree. There's an excellent video essay from Nerd Writer who. Um, has a bit on it's like Darth Vader an icon in 27 minutes or something and it talks about how Vader only appears on screen for about half an hour of the original trilogy's total running time and looks at how the character is sort of made iconic through his visual presentation and sound uh, and actually does talks a lot about how like the way he's in the first movie the costume is a little bit more rugged there's a lot of like fingerprints and smudges over it but in Empire it's like volcanic black like it's perfect and you can see your reflection in it. It's so, and like how much that sort of transforms him into just like this primal uh, 
being who's like and also instantly recognizable through just the silhouette or the sound and you know like he went out too like it's sound that we hear is it's not our introduction to the character but it is in a way for luke and it makes sense that that's it's it's through the voice and through the breathing because that's yeah. as great as the visual is that's the real iconic element yeah. of vader absolutely Actually, that brings us to our next pick, right? Because I think that's basically what your pick is, Dan, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so I will be I'll be very it. brief here because I've done a video essay on this topic before, and uh, we've talked about how it's kind of inspired some of the ideas for this show and sort of zeroing in on really little things that you take for granted but carry a lot of meaning. So in the theatrical cut of The Empire Strikes Back, since been changed in the many special editions, after the duel, after Vader, Luke has failed, but in a way Vader has too. He didn't capture Luke. He's gotten away. Um, Vader is walking and just kind of barks at one of his subordinates, bring my shuttle, and that's it. And it seems like kind of a throwaway line, but in the context of Vader's character, as we've seen him in this movie, it's a lot more substantial um, and specifically what stands out to me is how it's so it's, it's a simple line, but in the delivery, you, you sense such bitterness and it feels like he's genuinely really affected by this duel with Luke. He's genuinely upset and angry and disappointed and frustrated, and he's feeling a lot of conflicting emotions and it plants the seed for a mini character arc with, um, the fact that throughout the story, Vader has been murdering his subordinates when they fail, which is amazing. It's one of the best parts of The Empire Strikes Back is just the many ways we see that. I think, in fact, the best, the, sort of the best setup and payoff, maybe in any movie ever, is uh, Captain Nita being like, I should take responsibility and apologize to Lord Vader. We cut to a different scene, probably a different couple scenes, cut back, Captain Nita getting force choked, and just, the camera's just on him, falling over dead we see vader's feet walking by and hear his voice off camera apology accepted captain nita brilliant it's so good but i love like it this firmly plants this idea of like hey people fail vader their ass is grass they're done final scene the millennium falcon the hyperdrive has been deactivated and the one uh sort of subordinate has said that so we know this was his responsibility then r2 fixes the hyperdrive they blast off into light speed and you see Vader look out the window, look back, look out the window again. And we get like a cut to the uh, Admiral or Lieutenant or whatever it is looking terrified. And then Vader just walks away because his mind is elsewhere. And I love like it's ne it's not said overtly in the text, but it's so critical that he spares this guy, not out of mercy, but because he's just not thinking about it. And the way that this simple line of Vader saying, bring my shuttle is the sort of introduction of that idea, I think is fantastic. One of the many reasons why Empire is is so rich and rewarding. It's so detailed and so thoughtful to all the characters. So I said I wasn't going to go long and then ran out for several <laughs> minutes, but my intentions were pure. <laughs> but I think it's one of the few times, if any other times, where Vader's really reactive. For the most part, like you see Vader... He's in control. It doesn't matter if he's force choking people to death, his own guys, whatever. Vader is constantly in control of his emotions, of everything. And this is the really the only time, like you said, he does. 
there's that hint of annoyance, disappointment, anger, anger, frustration, whatever. It's, it's really the, I guess, kind of the first kind of dent in the armor really that we see in Vader. Like we do, we do see now that he can be fallible. He can be fallen, but it's still, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I love that line too. It's just, it just, that's just a, such a great shot in that movie and in a movie that's got so many awesome shots in it. So, mm-hmm. and to go back to your point and to use more wrestling terminology, <laughs> kind of sets up his face turn for Return of the Jedi. Like just this, yeah. like this little, and I would also add with the scene of him, like when you see glimpses of his like human skull when they're doing the, he's in his, whatever his chamber is, yeah. like this sort of, glimmers of humanity and vulnerability that eventually blossom into something else yeah and so the question then remains because this is and i like i like how when you did your video you really set it up as vader's arc in this movie but without empire strikes back does vader become the icon that he is because in star wars he's he has all he has the image and he has the voice. He doesn't have the theme song, um, but he's also just kind of, he's not as fully developed as the character as he is in Empire Strikes Back. And so moments like this, I think, not only just make him visually be a v- good villain, but he's actually become a character in his own right. And I don't think it really happens until Empire because of yeah, I'd agree. what you're mentioning. I mean, he's basically like a cool lackey and he's mm-hmm. he's kind of like Boba Fett in the first movie where like he looks really cool and he has presence. He's a bit more developed than Boba Fett. But at the end of the day, he's a subordinate. Grand Moff Tarkin's kind of the main villain of the first movie. Um, and Peter Cushing certainly gets more, you know, sort of meaty work to do as an actor. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think that Empire is really the one that that transitions him from cool looking bad guy into like the defining villain in movies which i think you could argue he is yeah so him and the wicked witch yeah definitely yep awesome okay uh should we we want to say any parting words about return of the jedi before we i guess we kind of just left attack of the clones in the dust so i'll quickly say i like the part where mouse from the matrix is like you want to buy some death sticks that's pretty fun and it's even more fun knowing that's Mouse from the Matrix. Yeah. So any parting words for Return of the Jedi? Uh, not at the moment. Um, not that I can think of. I still hate Ewoks. Fair. Did them blinking hey. in the Blu-ray not make you hate them less? <laughs> Just, uh, I mean, the parts that Return of the Jedi gets right like the stuff with luke and vader and it's just like yes like i want more of this i mean i understand why you can't give more because then it just negates everything else but then you go back to the battle and it's just like i can't can't do the ewoks sorry i understand why they're in there it makes sense why they're in there but i can't do it i hate the sappy crap like that's more of the good stuff yeah in general, it also feels like Han and Leia, they don't have a lot to do, but also they feel kind of like, I don't know, just blandified. Like, they just seem really nice. Yeah. They're just nice. It's like, <laughs> okay. Jabba's awesome, though. 
Jabba is awesome. That what a design. We have yeah. a friend who for years always would say that he's only ever seen two and a half movies of Star Wars because like clockwork, he would fall asleep halfway through anytime once the Ewoks showed up, <laughs> he was done. He was asleep. So he, he I mean, took him years for actually like she see how it ended <laughs> but honestly though to return of the jedi like after the jabba stuff ends the movie kind of restarts because nothing that happens in that first section actually matters yeah that's true which Other like getting han back i don't know if i mind necessarily because it's fun but it is weird it's a weirdly yeah, structured film yeah definitely that that opening sequence would make like a great television episode mm-hmm and or even like after... a 10-minute prologue to the movie. Instead of being 40 minutes, like 10-minute suspenseful sort of action scene, negotiation into action, into something like to get Han back. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but it's got so much good stuff in it. It's so, so iconic. Well, that's you the know, other thing. All the best stuff in the movie is there. So if you take that out, yeah, what are you left with? Really, I'm proposing a page one rewrite. So... <laughs> <laughs> which is a little late for that i don't know if but... i'm ready for this <laughs> let's move to the sequel trilogy <laughs> speaking of page one rewrites <laughs> all right justin let's start us off with the sequel trilogy all right we're gonna start off with the the big battle right at the start of the movie which movie set us up uh, fine i'll do that i guess <laughs> um force awakens and Oh, I'm trying to remember. What planet are they on? <laughs> to start off again? Jakku. Right. So. No, Ray's on Jakku, right? Yeah, it's the same planet. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. All the stormtroopers are landing and, you know, there's people getting shot left, right, and center. And one of the troopers gets shot he reaches up his hands covered in blood and it runs down we don't know it yet but it runs down finn's face and i really like that specific shot because for the most part blood isn't a huge factor in star wars like there's been scenes of it and in various places but it's never been i don't think as prominent as that specific shot and when I first saw that, like, my first thought was, is, okay, they're going to go things in a darker, different direction than maybe we were expecting for a Star Wars movie. And for me personally, I thought that would be the way to go. That's, personally, that's the kind of film I like. I like movies that are tend to be on the darker side, tend to have some grit to them. Like Terminator or Genesis. Oh, shut up, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> don't go there do not go there we don't have time for it <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but there's so much potential there because if we're being honest you look at what war is people dying with so much present information as far as like PTSD goes formerly known as shell shock it's like, okay, we've got a very dark theme here. How is this going to affect this character who we come to find out is very important to the sequel trilogy? Spoiler alert, it doesn't really play any effect whatsoever. But <laughs> it, it, it 
had a setup and potential there for it to be something that really gave Finn some true motives, which those true motives started at the beginning and were just forgotten. But it's just, it's such a good visualization of just that handprint of blood on his helmet. And yeah, it's rewatching it again this weekend. It's like, man, they could have done so much more with this, but. Yeah, I I like, I like two things that you point out. One, the rarity of blood in Star Wars, which I think goes a long way. The fact, like not only is it violent on the surface because, you know, it's blood, I'm not even but sure it, there was there was any. Yeah, uh, Star, Star Wars, Wars when is... the guy's arm gets chopped off. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. That's the only other one I know of, though. Um. Yeah. So I mean, it's it feels violent on its face of it, but also in the context of a Star Wars movie, all the more violent because people don't bleed in Star Wars. Um. You know, it's it's so that's substantial and i also like that you point out that that ends up kind of being lost and i think especially less so in this first film but certainly in the next one and then certainly even more in the next one where finn to me is the ultimate missed opportunity of the sequel trilogy because i i mean john boyega is awesome as an actor he's super charismatic and likable on screen and just innately you you know invest in him and the initial setup of like because stormtroopers have been disposable fodder in these movies for us, for, you know, for some of us, our whole lives, right? Like we grow up with star Wars, as you point out. So this idea of like, there's real people under those helmets. They're not just clones as it were, they're real human beings. And, you know, how does this affect them? And can they change is such a rich idea for a story. And then it just doesn't really materialize. It almost feels like they didn't, they didn't know what to do with that character, even though that seems to almost not write itself, but certainly tell you where to go with that arc. Like it's, we don't have to get too deep into like weighing the pros and cons of the last Jedi. But I think one thing that does bother me about the film is the fact that like Finn kind of has to have it, fix, have it explained to him of like that war is bad and horrible. It's like, if anyone should know that it's the child soldier, he should <laughs> understand this. But, uh, but this is a great scene in terms of, um setting up his character and for whatever uh you know failings were made it does set that up super strongly and it is an impactful uh way to reintroduce us to this world yeah and i it has a functional aspect too because it just it helps us distinguish him (laughs) with all the other stormtroopers in the exact same outfits and so i kind of like it for that like there's a functional reason for it too uh, but it is striking like and and not only is it just blood it's like that handprint on it that's i think that makes it just almost a little bit gorier right mm-hmm. the fact that it's actually a handprint and uh and you can almost see the emotion going on even though he's under the helmet at that moment too yeah. which i think is really good well even like when he finally pops the helmet off and you can just his expression in that moment is just so powerful. Like you could see he's, he's clearly thinking like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, this isn't right. Like, but he just got killed in front of me. Like what's going on. And Mm -hmm. like you said, with, with John Boyega, like I totally agree. Like he's got so much charisma about him and it just absolutely nailed it in that scene. And it's, it's, 
too bad that the writing didn't give him more to work with because a lot of his, I think, motivations later on just doesn't make sense. He just he started off on the right foot and, well, whatever. We're, we're off the track now, so we'll just run with it. So, Well, I think there was supposed to be a plot in the last movie where he, like, like somehow turns the you know the stormtroopers or at least a segment of stormtroopers to his side but i don't that just never really materialized that was one of the initial plans but then instead they give him nothing yeah they they make him they reveal that he's force sensitive i was like oh okay well you're not making any more movies so who cares (laughs) like (laughs) you're just setting up more crap that will never pay off yeah so maybe it will when they make the sequel sequel trilogy. And then it's like Ray's kid and Finn's kid. <laughs> oh man. Maybe. Maybe. We'll be oh. doing <laughs> as as soon as people hear this, here there's gonna be so much rage on that. What did that asshole say? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We tend to our our listeners tend to be pretty relaxed i find we haven't got like hate mail about this show yet not yet so i go though if there's any episode to begin it it's the star wars one <laughs> i suppose so yeah i mean i unabashedly love the force awakens so yeah That's i like it and i think i really like finn as a character i i understand what you're saying about the motivations justin but i always kind of just saw it as this is his origin this is his start uh, but I get, I do get the the missed opportunity idea there too. Which is more of a Last Jedi and then even more so a Rise of Skywalker. Like each movie kind of amplifies that being an issue. And this one, I don't think it is because it introduces the idea. And then Last Jedi, I, I'll give it credit. It's trying to do more, to continue to grow that character at least. I don't think it pulls it off well, but it's making the attempt. Whereas Rise of Skywalker feels like they're just starting from scratch, which is also weird because Abrams directed the first movie. You'd think he would have more of a handle on where that character would go, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> uh, it would have helped if they would have had a clear plan from movie one to movie two to movie three, but I guess that's asking too much. So It's wild that they didn't, and I don't because there's a lot of debate about this. I don't think they necessarily needed to have that from the start. Um, but it is surprising that they didn't. Because you would yeah. assume in this era of like micromanaging franchises and brand integrity, they would. But I don't know. Well, as soon as it's got the Star Wars name on it, you knew damn well it was going to generate a ton of money regardless. Well, and I, w- I wonder how much that played into it as well. Like, was there some complacency there with the thought, well, we're going to have a blockbuster regardless, so we can. I do wonder, and this is like, this is a fan theory that I have no proof for. So I'm probably wrong. But I wonder if part of it was this idea of like, well, George in the original trilogy didn't have a plan either. And especially because originally it was a different director each time, if there was. Like, and I I mean this in as least cynical a way possible, like this idea that like, well, let's let these directors create and and bring something new to it. Because I mean, 
it does seem like Ryan Johnson did have a fair degree of creative freedom and flexibility with his movie. So maybe it was like that. Like I almost, it's not quite the same. Well, it's very different because it's a less lore focused franchise, but it almost reminds me of the first three mission impossible movies where it's like each new film is a new director coming in and taking it in its own direction. Less so in terms of style in this case, and more in terms of like the narrative Let's take what's been established and build on it and develop it further. But yeah, I mean, with Rise of Skywalker, maybe we see the limits of that approach. Even though I, I will say I do, I do like that movie. I know I'm a, a bit alone in that, but I'm a defender of it. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, it is like it is. It is interesting, especially when you look at how controlling Disney is, especially with like the Marvel franchise and everything. The fact that they did give Johnson that as much control as they did. And I think even Abrams to some point in the first movie, but I do feel like they came crashing down on them hard for Rise of Skywalker. Like that is a movie that feels like it was made by committee. See, I'm not sure it is because in some ways, and I'm not saying this because I'm a defender of this movie necessarily, but because that to me just seems like J.J. Abrams. Like his whole career has been defined by playing in other people's with other people's toys. I don't know if he knows how to tell a story in any other way. Um, I mean, I haven't watched his TV stuff. I've heard that's a bit more creative, but you look at his movies like mission impossible three, the third in a franchise and easily the least interesting of that franchise in my opinion, and easily the worst, but um, that might be controversial. I don't know. Uh, He makes star Trek movie which is fun but pretty shallow and you know a lot of it is like remember this fun stuff star trek into darkness which doubles down on it and is way worse super eight which is his one of his maybe his best movie that or force awakens but it's very much like that spielbergian you know stranger things before stranger things type of thing like his entire career has been taking the things that you already like and doing them with a bit of a modern style and a glossier and, you know, with more modern pacing. And he's very good at doing that. So on some level, I don't know if, if rise of Skywalker was Disney being like, we need to, you know, bow down to these fans, especially because by every measurable metric, the last Jedi was a success. It was the highest grossing film of its year. It was extremely well-reviewed. It had incredible physical media sales. Like, if it truly is the case that they were seriously listening to, you know, nerds on Twitter and YouTube, they're really dumb (laughs) because like by every possible, not just on like a storytelling artistic level, um, which is obviously subjective and debatable, but just in terms of like this idea that we need to please the fans. It's like, no, you don't. Every measurement has shows you that you did please not everybody. Sure. But enough of the fans that like this is successful. You don't need to course correct. Yeah, but so, they did. But they did course correct. That's there's a I lot of fixing in that or movie. If it's JJ, that's the thing. The and fact I, that I, I, Rose gets sidelined. Love... The fact that they, you're right. It might be JJ, but regardless, yeah, they did course correct be. for sure. I'm just I would love, and I don't because I want to say I haven't watched it, but I know that the documentary. Uh, about the making of the last jedi is supposed to be like really honest and in depth i haven't seen it i don't know if you guys have no i haven't okay i think it's on disney plus and i'm sure it's on the the blu-ray 
but I would love something like that for Rise of Skywalker that talks about why choices were made because I don't know and I'm but it was like the same thing with um with Rose where like that's probably the most like genuinely upsetting thing about Rise of Skywalker is that you know there's all this like harassment on social media of uh, the actor who plays Rose whose name I can't remember uh right now uh Kelly Marie Tran yeah. yeah who's very good I think she's very good in in those films but she was all this horrible harassment she shuts down her instagram and all this stuff and then in the next movie her role is like dramatically reduced and it's like it's hard not to feel queasy seeing that and like it's them bowing to you know angry racists who harassed her but then i think a quote i don't know if it was from abrams or from like the screenwriter coming out saying the plan with rose was to be the contact with leia because he had the other characters going off in the adventure you needed somebody to stay with leia and then Carrie Fisher died. So a lot of the material that they would have had with her got cut. And it's like, who knows how true that is? That that might be saving face, but that does, it's reasonable based on the film we got that that could have been what happened. So all that to say, I would love to have like a really like, like a three hour film that just goes into the production and creative choices of this movie that I will defend to some extent, but just because I'm, I do find it fascinating and I do wonder to what degree it was the suits as it were saying we need to make this as as uh, fan pleasing as possible because it is an interesting irony that it seemed to please nobody yeah. except me apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been skirting around Last Jedi for a while and I think it's hard to have the context of Rise of Skywalker without Last Jedi. So should we just talk about Last Jedi? Sure. Let's do it. Okay, so this is interesting because Justin and I kind of picked... Well, Justin's got a moment in there. And my moment is like a small moment inside that moment. So, uh, Justin, why don't you tell us what you came up with for Last Jedi? Well, I guess to kind of set it up, the First Order's got, I guess, the remaining members of the Resistance pinned down in a cave. Luke makes his miraculous appearance, like, what the hell is he doing here? Has his last conversation with Leia, and then he goes out to confront Kylo Ren. Um, Kylo, seeing Red immediately, orders everybody to fire on him. Boom. You see this big burst of Red come shooting up and thinking that it's Luke, and no, sure enough, he brushes it off so Kylo drops down it gets out of the ship and there's just just the initial shot of you've got the first order on the left hand Kylo standing in front and then you got Luke by himself standing in front of the cave and they're just having a stare down and it just just that single shot I love that it's so beautifully shot and it feels like, okay, like this is going to be the moment where we finally have, I guess, kind of the focus of the force transition from Luke to somebody else. And as we all know, they have their big battle and we won't get into it too far because I disagree with how that went, but. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Wow. But yeah, you're, it yes. is a gorgeous shot, though. You're right. One thing you can, I think most people can agree with, 
with last jedi at least i would hope is that it looks amazing this is a movie that looks gorgeous it's the best looking of the new movies i think by far yeah the closest one next to it would be rogue one which i like the visual style but the actual visual ideas are less creative than last jedi yeah no that's a and you're talking about the shot where it's got like all the 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 ATATs lined up, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very imposing. I love oh, that. It's that is just such a perfect Star Wars shot. Like it encompasses pretty much everything that the series is. Like you have got the bad guys on one side with all their heavy artillery, and you got like your your last bastion of hope on the right. It's yeah, I know that's that's one of my favorite shots in like the entire series. It's just it's yeah, I love it. Yeah, and that salt planet is like it's just like that unique interesting texture to it too that yeah. that really adds to it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know, Dan, do you anything to add to that? <laughs> Well, not a ton, although I, and this this is potentially risking launching us into another side tangent, but I just I will say the one really surprising thing, well, there's many surprising things about the reception to The Last Jedi that I will never understand, but the one that does stand out to me a lot is when people say, like, they ruined Luke because I truly feel like Mark Hamill is by far the best part of this movie, mm-hmm. and I like a lot of the things in this movie, but I love Hamill's performance. And basically everything Luke does, I think is just, it's just bees knees. I love yes. it. I love, and this is maybe a little fan servicey, but when, before the actual confrontation with Kylo and the first order, when he meets up with Leia, it's a wonderful little scene mm-hmm. as he's leaving and three PO sees him, master Luke, and he just winks at him. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mark Hamill is so slick in this film. Fantastic. Best he's yeah. been on screen not counting voice work in like ages. Yeah, I agree. And I like that it seems to have kind of lit a modest Mark Hamill renaissance where he's popping up and other stuff. And yeah, he also just seems like a genuinely like friendly and kind person on social media and things like that. So, and there's been rumors that Luke has, or that Mark Hamill was unsatisfied with the last Jedi. And I really hope that's not true because he's so good in this movie like i really hope he takes pride in that performance i think a lot of that is like quotes that are taken out of context where he talked about when he first read the script he was like i don't think this is what the fans are necessarily going to want or expect and ryan johnson Mm -hmm. being like well our job's not to give them what they want or expect which i agree with and again like i also it's not like he turned luke into like like, oh, he was a hermit who ran away. Gee, when have a Jedi ever done that? I don't know. <laughs> Just all of them. Like, yeah. it would have been almost more radical if Luke did come in and just save the day. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely like that was the most baffling thing to come out and hear people say, like, they didn't like Luke. I was like, I, everything Luke does for me is like pitch perfect. Yeah, me too. Including the milk. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know why that became such a thing. But I just love that devious grin he gives. <laughs> <He's drinking. laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, dripping out of his I... shaggy hobo beard. 
my moment's in the same fight, so should I just go to it? Yeah, go for it. Do it. Okay, so my moment is still within that same fight. Um, And this is going to be spoilers. So for some reason, you're listening to a Star Wars-based podcast and haven't seen The Last Jedi and don't want to be spoiled. I don't know what to tell you. So... So here we go. So the last or the fight between Luke and Kylo, once they actually start fighting, there's a one really, really quick shot of because like we had mentioned, this is a salt planet. And when people are stepping on the salt planet, there's like this red underlay underneath. And so that so once you step on the salt, you get these red footprints and red dust kind of coming up. And it, it provides an amazing visual throughout this whole sequence. But there's a really quick shot during the fight where Ryan Johnson focuses in on Luke's feet and he's kind of sliding and there's no red, right? And then it just keeps going with the fight. And it's just like this tiny little bit of visual foreshadowing that is amazing. Because once once you actually figure out why that is, it's, it's one of those things, Dan, going all the way back to our first episode when you talked about uh, Shutter Island, and that missing glass, remember, with it that the lady's drinking, and you're like, there's something off here, and you just instinctually feel it. That's the same here. You're like something, even if you're not catching on that there's no red dirt, there's a there's some kind of dissonance there. And then once everything starts cluing in, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's clever. I like that. Because <laughs> of course we learn that Luke is not actually there, right? He's he's force projecting or whatever you want to call it right he's making them think that he's there when he's really not and um yeah just a wonderful little bit of visual hints i guess i never clued in that you don't see the red but wow yeah okay this movie actually is brilliant okay fair (laughs) enough (laughs) that's awesome it that's is. that's and it, it's it shows a, a level of thoughtfulness too to what to what they're doing that yeah if you're paying attention you do notice something's up could also be that like there's no way mark hamill can really move like that something's up yeah <laughs> it's like qui-gon taking the breather all these jedi are really just so lazy <laughs> now justin you were hinting that you weren't happy how this fight turned out are you well no it's it's not not necessarily how the fight turned out it's I guess the aftermath, because once again, spoiler alert, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I think Kylo Ren essentially was the, the right one to kill Luke, even though he didn't directly kill Luke, like yeah. Luke projecting himself. Okay, fine. I think Luke's death, he should have been physically struck down by Kylo Ren whether it's in that scene or maybe in rise of skywalker or whatever i think that would my opinion i think that would be in the right way to go instead of just we find out it's a force projection and then they cut back to luke later and he kind of falls over he gets back up and then it's like oh no i guess i'm dead like it just it felt it felt for me, very anticlimactic when you have a character of Luke Skywalker's stature dying in that fashion. Like, Luke dying should have been a much bigger deal than what it was. And I just, for me, it didn't connect. No, I'm going to counter you there because I, 
I don't think that Kylo killing him would have been as powerful because we just got that, right? We just had him do that with Han Solo. So yeah. I think it would have felt a little bit repetitive. And personally, I love that because this was something that was I did not expect where this was going, right? Did anybody see that coming? The fact that Luke was actually not on the planet? I mean, unless you really caught on to that red sand thing right away. Like that well, was because when they when they were blasting the crap out of him and he yeah. survives, what was going on in my mind was like, how did he survive? And then worried. I'm worried that they're taking this idea of the Jedi too far, that they can actually protect themselves from massive gunfire. I'm like, that's no, that's going too far. But then when they revealed what actually happened, and I'm like, okay, that's doing something I completely different. I did not expect. And yet it's something that, that makes sense that I can see a Jedi as powerful as Luke building up his whole life towards this moment and yeah. taking everything he's learned about, about the force into this one moment and having that completely take everything out of him. I don't know. I, I love it. I think it's a great way for him to go out. Dan, break the tie. Yeah. man. <laughs> Well, I'm going to complicate things by agreeing with neither of you. Luke should have been killed by Chewie. Chewie should have beat him to death with his bare hands. No, um, I love the force projection. I love the cleverness of it. I love how it's kind of a callback to Obi-Wan's line about you can't win, but there are alternatives to fighting. Um, but I don't, I'm not crazy about Luke dying from it. And I don't, no, I don't know if I have a good reason for it beyond just to me, it seems like the predictable choice that, like, you know, the mentor passes on to, you know, pass the torch, which, you know, makes sense to some degree. But I also, I do wonder, like, well, had they not killed him, could they have done potentially something interesting in his character in the next movie? You know, not to say Ray goes back and trains because I think that would have been not entirely satisfying and I don't necessarily want Luke to come in and be the hero, but I guess to, to compare it to another film from that year that was also a sort of sequel to a old science fiction film, Blade Runner 2049. I love that Rick Deckard, spoiler alert, doesn't die at the end of Blade Runner 2049. I think it's actually really interesting that... Um, you get hints of how his character's grown, but also hints of how his character might continue to grow. I think that's a really rich idea. And yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily, I don't dislike his death. I don't think it's like wrong, but I do kind of wonder like, was this necessary? And part of it too is also like, you can't help but have your brain in like franchise mode where it's like, okay, they just need to find ways to deal with all these characters. Yeah. So I, it's, it's, I get it, but I don't know, not, there is something about it that's a little unsatisfying and to me, not unsatisfying in the same way as, you know, Luke being kind of a failure, which I find interesting dramatically. Um, I don't know if this is in the same way. So yeah. I ride see, the fence between you two, like, <laughs> like a coward. Well, I just see it as um, <laughs> like the whole movie. He's, he's struggling with this idea of, you know, he's not involved right and trying to stay not involved and realizing that coming to that realization that he needs to be that they need him but 
he also realizes that he's you know this old man jedi now and so he's doing whatever he can and i kind of like that he puts all everything into this right he just once he decides to act he decides to act all the way i guess i find something poetic in that so that's fair yeah i'd agree with that and he made him he made himself look younger too yeah that's true that's another nice clue right yeah Yeah. cleans up his hobo beard yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and i love that line that he gives kylo he's like see you around kid (laughs) and he just disappears Mm -hmm. and that's something else i wish would have paid off in the next movie too like i wish he actually would have visited yeah but there's a lot of things i wish would have happened in that movie so well i will say i think uh, part of the reason speaking of kylo ren that i do give the third movie a pass is because i'm like adam driver's really good in this and that's just him really good in everything he's like one of the best actors of his generation which is kind of crazy he kind of snuck up on me I didn't realize fully how much I loved him until one day I was just watching something. I was like, he's the best. He's so good. And I think he's he gives the best performance in the overall uh, across the three films of the sequel trilogy. Um, yeah, I think I agree. Hamill's really good here. I think he's less good in Rise of Skywalker. He's a little hammier. Um, Ray is, Daisy Ridley's good, but I think she has less to work with than Adam Driver. So, and then Oscar Isaac and John Boyega, they're both super charismatic on screen, but again, their characters become a little bit flimsy by the end. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think Kylo Ren is just, I like that he's a villain that's not Vader 2.0. Like, I like that he's got his own issues going on. I like that he's more of a, like a, at the beginning, at least he's a petulant kid. But by the end, he's not like he's he's becoming a lot more secure in who he is. And and I kind of like watching that. And yeah, Adam Driver does a really good job of playing that up. Well, it's brilliant, too, that his in some ways, his character is wanting to be Vader 2.0. Exactly. And he can't be that. Exactly. It's why like and I, I like watching Adam Driver play through the redemptive stuff in Rise of Skywalker because I think he's, you know, a good actor. But it would have been interesting for them to commit to him being this new kind of villain who's not frightening because he's the sort of, he's not the all-imposing master who's in control of everything, but because he's an unhinged, young, violent person who doesn't have control. And that being more dangerous in some ways than uh, a villain who is sort of a complete master I do kind of think that would have been an interesting to commit to that fully for the third movie and not have it be another redemption story and bringing back Palpatine. Don't get me started, man. Do not get me started. The line somehow Palpatine has returned is truly the funniest thing. (laughs) I think part of why I defend that movie is I just don't care. That's your problem. (laughs) I care. He just kind of it just kind of broke me at one point. I don't know if it was the movies themselves or just the online discourse, but I was just like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> so the movie's like entertaining in the moment and it's well paced. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty good. I think I just <laughs> like I'm full in with Last Jedi, in case you haven't picked up on this yet. Like I am yeah. I I love it. Like I think it's amazing. I think right what Ryan Johnson does with it, like the scene that we've been talking about 
is such a powerful scene. There's nothing in Rise of Skywalker that comes close to the construction of, of that. And, um, and I just feel like it backpedals on so many things that The Last Jedi did. And it, it really does feel like a movie that's trying to fix the mistakes of the previous, which bugs me mm-hmm. a lot. The, the raised background thing bugs me. yeah that was pretty cowardly that's hard to defend like i do i can give the filmmakers some credit for kind of having their cake and eating it too where they don't they give her like a sort of legacy character to be related to but it does still at least give something of like being more than your origins because she's not a kenobi for example but it is yeah but they were already doing that with like they were already doing that yeah yeah (laughs) yeah <laughs> it's very cowardly. I will not be uh I won't be defending that as a creative choice to like to a modest degree. I think it like it it was not the worst execution of that idea, but obviously that's a fairly low bar. Most things aren't the worst execution <laughs> of an idea. Yeah. Um and I do yeah. I do agree with you with Kylo Ren. I think he should have been the villain. I think that yeah, like he should have been the full out villain. Mm-hmm. we didn't need we did not need an explanation of where snoke came from or any that junk mm-hmm. we just he was he was a villain that was set things up well it was shocking what happened to him and that was interesting and then mm-hmm. we just needed kylo ren to come into his own well it would have been the other thing too is like and not to get too like soapboxy about these things but you could argue there's something a little bit potentially um, troubling about a core ethos of Star Wars being like this idea that, you know, anyone can be redeemed. It's like, no, not everyone can be redeemed. You know, it would have been okay for it to be a villain who does cross too many lines. It do- he does go too far that he can't, that he does, he doesn't need to be redeemed. He needs to be stopped. And again, the Last Jedi was setting that up. Right, Last Jedi was really building up this idea because even Luke even says to Leia during that scene, "I'm not here to save him," and she says, mm-hmm. "She's like, I know," and so they they were going that direction. Like, well, and it, 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 Ryan Johnson wanted to go that direction, and it adds an interesting layer too when you consider like, in spite of that, he is sympathetic. You do kind of feel for him. He, yeah that is an interesting layer to the character that he can just be the villain. And yet you do kind of feel bad for him, which maybe is a level of complexity that audiences today struggle with, because this is a little bit off topic, but I think about how many times I've heard people describe Thanos. as like, he's almost a hero from a certain perspective. It's like, no, he's not. He's strongly motivated and he believes his motivations, which is very good, but he's not a complex villain. He's not the hero. He's very much a villain who wants to blow up half the world. Yes. And they do that idea very well, but he is not a complex villain. So I do wonder like, you know, if on some level there's just like an idea that audiences can't fully handle that level of complexity, which might be true, but it would have been interesting for, yeah, for Kylo to be like, he is a full on monster that needs to be stopped. And yet you do kind of sympathize with him and even feel bad for him. Would have been neat. So yeah, would have been okay. Don't worry, they'll make another uh, another trilogy in three in a decade or so, and then you can get go through <laughs> the same cycle all over oh. again. 
Yeah. Well, isn't it great being a Star Wars fan? Hmm? <laughs> George Lucas wanted to make his own version of Flash Gordon, and now look where we are. <laughs> you know what? I like. I'll say this. I know that there's there's a lot of mixed feelings on how the Star Wars return in the Disney Star Wars era has gone. I know a lot of people love Rogue One. I'm not a big Rogue One fan. Um, Solo was fun, but I don't know that it goes beyond that. As far as I'm concerned, I got two movies that I love out of it, and I'm very happy. If that's all I get was just those two movies, I'm good. Yeah. So I'm glad that they brought it back just for. Those well, don't movies. worry. You'll be getting more whether you want it or not. <laughs> yes, that's this is I'm aware of. <laughs> Although I'm curious what will happen with the movies, because it seems like I don't think that Ryan Johnson spinoff trilogy is happening anymore. I don't think the rumored Patty Jenkins spinoff stuff's happening anymore. Like, you know, it seems like they're just scaling it back to TV, which disappoints me. Yeah, I mean, but that's the other thing, too, where like TV shows, they announced like at one point there's like a bunch of titles. And now I'm not even sure how many of those are still happening. Yeah. I don't know. It's strange. Like, I don't, I don't want to veer into like those like conspiracy YouTubers. Like I have an inside source who's told me like I have, none of us have any idea, but it is interesting to think that like, it seemed like early on they were gearing up to be like a Marvel or a new star Wars every year, mainline mm-hmm. films and spinoffs. And they're, I don't know if they're clearly not doing that anymore. Cause there's been a couple of years now since rise of Skywalker. And as far as I know, there's not even, any star wars film in production beyond maybe like you know pre-production drafting of script stages or outlines even but one wonders because you don't spend however many billions that disney spent to acquire this for just the trilogy so well and then to have it and then to have a couple series on disney plus as well like yeah yeah, like Man- Mandalorian has been very successful for them. And so I think mm-hmm. they're just hoping that all the other shows will be. We'll we'll find out. I don't know. You don't but get again. Baby Yoda every time. Yeah. That's yeah. the merch machine. That's like that's that's the phenomena. Oh, I'm all on board with Baby Yoda. I, I love, love Baby, Baby Yoda. Yoda. I love well, I, I was disgusted with myself how much I loved him in the Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you you goddamn loser. Are you kidding me? And then every episode, I'm like, oh, he's so good. (laughs) When that first came out, it's like, what the hell is going on here? Like, are you for real? (laughs) We're going to be following around this stupid freaking baby Yoda. And yeah, same thing. It's like, yeah, I'm all in. I mean, and further to that, too. I mean, that played a large part into my one daughter really getting into Star Wars as well. So, like, she's all in on Mandalorian. She's... We've watched uh, the prequels, the original trilogy. We've started the sequels. We still have to go through Rise of Skywalker, which I mentioned before we were even started recording. I'd never seen Rise of Skywalker, so that's going to be coming up here next week. So <laughs> it might you maybe, might have an interesting experience because you're going to be watching it through your kids' eyes, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Well, even even just watching Force Awakens and Last Jedi. I mean. There's certain spots I knew to keep an eye on her because I wanted to see her reaction to certain things. And I don't know, like watching it as a parent with a kid that's getting into it, it's it's a totally different perspective. And I mean, 
I love it. Even if even if the movies aren't as good as what I think the originals were, having the opportunity to kind of expose one of my kids to something like that, something that I enjoyed as a kid growing up and kind of continuing on. I mean, it's a good thing, but at the same time, I mean, I understand what you guys are saying, like as far as potential future movies and everything else goes, like where do they actually go as far as movies go? Mm -hmm. Like, like if, if they do something again in the next three, five years, my opinion, that's too soon for another movie. Yeah, they gotta, I agree. They got to step away, kind of let things breathe. Let the next generation come in to take over the shit posting and everything else for <laughs> all the complaints for what the next trilogy is going to be, right? 2030. That's my prediction. That's <laughs> yeah. when we start ramping it up again. Well, like yeah. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I would have preferred them to take a little bit more time in between these movies even. Yes. Just like the other yeah. ones did. Well, I mean, that was the most fun of the Disney era is when they just first announced that the new movie was happening and just the buzz amongst friends of like who do you guys think is going to direct like that just just having those conversations where any the buildup and I'm, i was very conscious of it leading into the force awakens like this is special in a way that the others won't be movie yeah. might not be good and the other movies might even be better but this first oh, one's going to mean more it was massive like yeah it caught the public zeitgeist way more than i actually even expected a star wars movie to and yep. yeah, it was huge. I, I loved it. I loved piggyback, the hype around it. I loved everything about it. To jump back to the point, though, about seeing, you know, the movies through, you know, your kid's eyes. I do wonder with Rise of Skywalker, because we, and that is to say, especially Ian, pretty down on that movie, can identify <laughs> the many holes in it and see it in cynical ways. Kids obviously aren't going to relate to it on that cynical level. And I do wonder, because there's a lot of whack shit in Return of the Jedi that, we all just kind of accept because we grew up with it. Like yeah. Luke and Leia being siblings is really dumb and really con you could argue it's equally as dumb and convoluted as you're a Palpatine, That's, but we all accept I, yeah. it because we all grew up with it. Yeah. So one wonders, like I would not at all be surprised if rise of Skywalker too, in, in the same way that like for a certain generation of kids, the prequels were great. Yeah. Were That's the absolutely the case. So because the kids I teach, like they, the ones that are Star Wars fans, they love the prequels, and I do not begrudge them that at all. Mm -hmm. So, who knows? And you know, for certain people growing up, Rise of Skywalker, because like again, you're a kid, you don't have the the critical capacity to to think through like artistic choices. Like, oh, okay, that's her lineage. Okay, that's her parent. Got it. Like, you're not. I don't. I don't know. I don't have kids. I don't associate with children. <laughs> children frighten me, to be frank. So I have no idea what, what they're, what kids are like in terms of like how many kids even are into to Star Wars today. Cause it does seem too unlike the Marvel stuff, which seems really popular with kids that most of the Star Wars fandom as it is now is like skews a little older, but you guys, you know, Justin, you have kids and you teach yeah. like You guys probably have more knowledge in that world than I do. Yeah. I mean, certainly on my end, I mean, circling back to the mandalorian again like baby yoda grogu like but that's huge for the next the generation kids, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. like like having that having the kids having that connection to to that character i think is going to be very important very monumental for the next generation of star wars fans coming up 
And, and I think, I think Ray as the lead character is pretty big too. Absolutely. Having, having a female lead character yeah. is pretty important. Well, if you would have asked me 20 years ago about representation in film, it would have been whatever. Like, just go blow crap up and let's get on with it. But as I've kind of grown up and wisened in my older age, like, when we were getting ready to watch, like I asked Abby, like, which one do you want to watch? Well, let's watch one with Ray. Perfect. Like just having that, that main female protagonist, like you said, Ian, like, it, it's huge. And if they can develop more of that in a much stronger direction in the future, I, it's just going to be even bigger and more important. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Star Wars goes. I really have no idea at this point. But yeah. let Spielberg direct one. <laughs> yeah, he's a what? May as well. He's what seventy five. Gotta get one. Mm-hmm. It's his birthday a couple days ago. Right. I don't know if y'all seen West Side Story yet. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I did. I saw it today. Nice. Did you like it? I did. I enjoyed it. Yes. It's it's. It's the most passionate I've seen Spielberg in a long time. Yes. A long time. Yeah. Maybe since Munich. Possibly. I mean, I love Lincoln. I'm a, you know, huge fan of that film, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a film that Spielberg needed to have made, nor one that you see a lot of him in it, even though it's incredibly well-crafted because the man can't not, stage amazing immaculate even like i watched always for the first time this week and it's not good it's pretty boring but it's like the most well-made boring movie you'll ever see (laughs) just kind of miraculous but but i digress we should probably wrap up our star wars talk probably should yeah so uh justin thanks for jumping on the show yeah appreciate you guys having me on again it's been a slice it's a pleasure to have you back yeah, I've been wanting to do the Star Wars episode for a while, so I'm sure we'll do another one. Yes, we can. Have we have at least two. two other mates who have. Well, I can probably say their names: Greg and Michael, who have been on before, who are big Star Wars fans. We could probably, I'm sure they would jump at the opportunity to do something. Yeah, Force related. Yeah, we can definitely do a sequel. So, but yeah, I thought it would be a great uh, Christmas gift to everybody: the Star Wars episode. So we're gonna. We'll probably release, I don't know when, when we'll get this ready, but we'll probably release it after Christmas, Boxing Day or the day after. Hopefully. That makes sense. And then we will probably not have a show until after the new year, which we're going to do a end of the year top 10, I think. Hey? Yeah. yeah. Very excited. I it's... think it's been, even with the pandemic, like a pretty good year for movies. I mean, financially it hasn't been it's been horribly depressing and looking at box office stats makes me want to jump into an active volcano but <laughs> on Mustafar, <laughs> yeah exactly i'll be safe there but um yeah. in terms of quality films there's been a lot of stuff that i really responded to so yeah i know yeah. one big one in particular ian, resp- ian responded to quite positively <laughs> yes and uh oh by the way go check out eyebrow cinema because daniel just put up a awesome superhero versus western video which i think is gaining a lot of traction yeah it's uh 
it's my first one. video in a couple months to actually <laughs> do really well so that's nice yeah and it's it's a it's one of your best i, I loved it thank you so yeah. it was oh, I, it was fun to make i'm looking fun forward to jumping into that one yeah it, wow. it's uh i don't think i swear at all in that one so if that's a concern <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I've been Ian. I'm Daniel. And may the force be with you. Yup, yup. Ha, hey. Yup, yup. Oh, ha, ha. Oh, I told me, told me,